We're going to begin a new book, new journey for us through the book of Numbers. If you were excited about Leviticus, wait for Numbers. When we take a look at the book of Numbers, I want to begin tonight in uh, Genesis. So if you, if you hold your finger there, it's not too far to turn left to Genesis chapter 15. And uh, we'll talk about some of the reasons behind what God's doing in the book of Numbers. Now, when we look, we back up and we want to take a look at what, what is Numbers all about? What's the purpose? What's the point? And we're going to see, really, Numbers is probably not the best name for the book. The people are going to be numbered in the book of Numbers, which is where the name comes from. But they're going to be numbered in chapter 1 and 2, and they're going to be numbered in chapter 26. The rest of the time, that's not what's going on. We look at the book of Genesis, and we see the book of Genesis as the beginning. This is where everything starts, including some promises that God gave. And in the book of Genesis, actually when we go to Hebrews, we read how Abraham, in his trust and faith in God, was looking for a city that was permanent, that had foundations, that was going to last, whose maker and builder was God. Abraham began to look forward to the promises that God gave. In Genesis, we can think of one of those promises, right? The promise to have a son. That Abraham was going to have a son. That, that God would give him the child through whom would come the one that would bless all mankind ultimately leading to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So as we take a look at that, as we consider that that's, that's a promise given in the book of beginnings, then we see it fulfilled, and then we see a promise that God gave Abraham, and he gave it to him in Genesis chapter 15. So let's take a look at it real quick. Genesis chapter 15 comes to us right after probably one of the greatest uh, uh, success stories uh, that Abraham had, it's in the, the battle of the 300, the very first 300 ever. It was Abraham's 300 well-trained soldiers going forward and delivering Lot from the hands of uh, kings that had taken him. Now, you remember at this time, Lot was already living in Sodom and uh, Gomorrah. He was at a place where he probably should not have been but through compromise that's where he found himself it's right after that success god comes to abraham in chapter 15 verse 1 it says after these things the word of the lord came came to abram in a vision saying do not be afraid abram i am your shield and your exceedingly great reward almost as though perhaps abram was a little worried that after going and conquering and, and taking the spoils away from those kings that there would be retribution somewhere down the line. You know, maybe worrying about, well, what's this mean in the future? What's going to happen? Are these guys, you know, has, has a feud begun between these five kingdoms and, and myself? And later on down the line, my family going to be facing these things over and over again. And the Lord comes to him and says, relax, Abram. I'm your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. I am the one that you need to keep your focus on to not allow all the worries and concerns of life to, to rip you off. 
And Abram says, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house will be Eleazar? He's saying, I don't even have a child, you know. And God had already given him the promise of the child, but it's been a long time. Ultimately, it'll be 25 years from the promise to the fulfillment. You realize sometimes when God gives us promises, there's gaps of time between the promise and the fulfillment. What did the scripture tell us on Sunday morning? The scripture told us what occurs during that time is we learn patience, perseverance, and endurance. And the book of Hebrews tells us we have need of endurance. This, this life that we live is not a sprint. It's not over quick. And Abram was looking for the fulfillment of that promise. And so God tells Abram, he says, listen, <clears throat> behold, the word of the Lord came to him in verse 4. This one will not be your heir, but one that will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Now look toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So God gives him a promise that his people, the nation that's going to come through his seed, they're going to be an uncountable, a huge multitude. Now, Abram, look around and see his family. Right now, it's him, Sarah. You know, maybe he, he counts a couple of donkeys and a, and a goat or two, but that's it. It sounds like God's knocking, huh? And he wants in. Sorry, they're roofing tonight. They'll be with us all night long. But as we, yeah, it's a sign of good things, right? It means next winter we won't get wet while we're coming to church. That's good news. So as we take a look here, God's given him this promise. Now, Abram has no problem counting himself now, does he? One, two, 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 two. That's it. But God says you're not going to be able to count them. You're not going to even be able to count them. And then he goes on a little bit further as we, as we scroll down um, to verse, uh, verse 13. Then he said to Abram, No, certainly your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years. We studied about that, right? Book of Exodus, the book of redemption. Here in Genesis, the book of beginnings, Exodus, the book of redemption. Now as for you, you will go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God laying out for Abram these promises. Hey, these things are going to take place. Did Abram, Abram saw the child. He saw the son, the promised son be born. But did he see them, him become a nation? Did he see them grow? Will he see them 400 years later return to the land? But the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed what God said. In fact, Genesis goes on to tell us Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him righteousness. He believed. Even though he knew he was not going to see it. He believed it. He, he believed the promises that God laid out. Now as we, as we turn to the book of Numbers, God is going to do something in chapter 1 and 2 that uh, he's ultimately going to tell the children of Israel not to do unless God had ordained it, and that was to number the people. Why did I take you to Genesis chapter 15? Because we want to talk a little bit about why. Why is God numbering the people? He's numbering the people to show them 
the beginning of the fulfillment of the promises that he gave to Abram. Hey, I gave promises that from two, I was going to grow this great nation. And now he's going to number them so they can realize, wow, look at that, what God did with two people who believed God, trusted in his promises, pressed into him, made him the, their shield and their exceedingly great reward. Look what God did. Look what God did with two. Isn't it amazing? I mean, a little while ago on Sunday mornings, we were, as we were going through the book of 1 Corinthians, we came to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we studied about how there was a great multitude, the children of Israel that we're reading about here in the book of Numbers, gathered together. And as they gathered together, God was not pleased with most of them. And you could whittle it down to two that God was, was pleased with out of that whole multitude. But what can God do with two? God can do so much. And sometimes you and I are guilty of thinking, what can I do? I'm so little in the kingdom of God. All God needs is one person willing to believe his promise, accept him as his exceedingly great reward and his shield and his strength. And look what God can do. Just allow God to move and trust that God wants to do a great work. So as we look, Genesis, the book of beginnings. Exodus, the book of redemption. Leviticus is a book of worship. Think about how our own experience with God goes. Beginning, we're born, we grow, we live, but the time comes for redemption. Once we've been redeemed, the natural response is to go before the Lord and worship. So then what's Numbers all about? Numbers is all about wandering. Because sometimes we come through redemption, we enter into worship, and then we find ourselves in, in one form or another of complacency, wandering, not entering into the rest that God has for us like he told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And he tells us in the book of Hebrews to enter into the rest. Why didn't they experience the rest that God had for them? Through unbelief. Why do we spend time wandering? Through unbelief. You see, Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. He trusted in the promises of God, and he never saw them come to fruition except for the fact that he gave birth to a son. And here in the book of Numbers, we're going to see the beginning of that fruition coming to place as God numbers the people to show them a fulfillment of the promise. But you see, Numbers in, uh, in the Hebrew tongue is known by a different name. Some call it the, the book of the wandering. Others call it the book of murmuring. Because what did the people do while they wandered? Murmur, 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 murmur. Oh, uh, God did this. God did that. Why? What's wrong with this? What, you know, all the complaints that were going to come against the Lord God. So as we look at the book of Numbers, realize. Also realize this. Book of Exodus took place over one year period of time. The book of Leviticus took place in one month. The book of Numbers is going to last 38 to 40 years, depending on when you start counting. So we know the children of Israel are not going to enter into the promised land 
because they don't believe that God's going to be everything that they need Him to be. And so what are they going to do? They're going to wander in the wilderness for 38 years. Or for, I'm sorry, for 40 years. 38, if you count from the time of the Exodus, the one year they're spending at Sinai and, uh, and the year that we're going to see them spend a little bit later as we go through the book. So as we take a look... You're going to see that. Forty years are going to wander. whole generation is going to perish. All those who, who didn't trust in the, in the word that God gave them, they're going to perish, and a younger generation is going to come up and carry them through. Think about our own experience with the Lord. Redemption, worship, the wandering. Now, I don't, I'd like to think I'm done wandering. I, I hope I'm done wandering, but I'm not always sure. I know that there was about 13, 17 years, something like that, that I wandered trying to, trying to find my own way, do my own things, figure out all this stuff. Then I could have entered into God's rest so much earlier, but it was all about whether or not I was actually willing to surrender and believe. Trust Him. Trust Him. How do you know if you trust the Lord? When the Lord is all you have, you'll know. When the Lord is all you've got left, there's no place else to go. Nobody else has an answer. There's not a doctor you can go to, a lawyer you can hire, a thing you can do. You're at the end of yourself, then you'll know. Because that's usually when real trust actually begins. We come to the end of us. We see the beginning of God. And that's what God is going to do in the 40 years with the children of Israel through the book of Numbers. That's the experience that God wants to lay out for them, what God wants to teach them, what he wants to show them. So let's begin. Numbers chapter 1, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying... As I looked at verse 1, and it was kind of a challenge, I'll be honest with you, going through the book of Numbers, uh, at least initially, saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to, for the first couple of chapters, I'm going to be looking at a lot of uh, math. Math's not one of my strong subjects. I don't like counting, adding, multiplying, subtracting. I like to never do that. But as we look at it, the Lord spoke some things real very definite things in my heart. For example, Abraham, he, he was, the Lord spoke to him, but where was he when he spoke to him? In the tabernacle of meeting. He was gathered together with God's people. How many times do we say, oh, I, God's not speaking to me. God hasn't spoken to me. You know, God will speak to me every time I will allow him to whenever I gather together with God's people at church. I come, God will speak to me in worship. God will speak to me through the word. God will speak to me through someone coming alongside, praying with me, or, or having an opportunity to love on someone else. God will speak to us in all those things. But when we withdraw ourselves, in the book of Hebrews it said, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is a manner of some, and so much more as you see the day approach. God says gather together like this. When we gather together like this, what happens? Bible study. Well, I learned a lot of things in Bible college, but I have learned far more sitting in Bible study in church than I ever learned in Bible college. Bible college, I learned how to 
to spell things and how to make a three-point outline and how to do things I've never used since. But when I come to church and we open up the Word of God and we allow the Spirit of God to guide and lead us, that's when growth occurs. Moses was spoken to when he gathered together with God's people in the tabernacle of meeting. That's where God met him. He met him in that place and he spoke to him. In verse 2 he said, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel, by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of the names, every male individually. So they're going to take a census. They're going to make a count. In that count, we're going to see who of the males exactly that they're going to be counting. But as we look at it, there's something else that we need to understand. They were counted by families. Because all throughout God's word, families is the strength of the nation. And it's no different today. Families are still the strength of the nation. So what does that mean? Primarily, it means this, that we're going to see in the book of Nehemiah as we study. We're going to see as we go through the scripture that what God is wanting, what God is desiring is that every man would fight for his family. That a nation is only as strong as a family. What do we see happening in our own nation? What's happening to the family? How many, I I remember one time when I, I was doing youth group a long time ago. When I was doing youth group, I remember asking one time, how many people in youth group came from divorced families, broken families? And I was blown away. I would say probably 75% came from a broken family. Dad's not home or mom's not home or one way or another they're bounced back and forth from one to the other. Then you begin to go in other places and you discover there's this whole group of kids that don't, don't even know who their father is, have zero relationship with him whatsoever, and they are perpetuating and we're seeing a generation after generation after generation in this country growing up that way. Who has replaced the family in the inner city? Well, gangs. Gangs have replaced the family. Guys and girls willing to die for this other person in the gang. Don't know who their family is. Don't don't have no relationship with their family. And so what do we see occurring in our nation? We see our nation weakening, struggling, spiritually first, then physically economically it's just look at history it happens over and over again that's how it works god numbered them by families that it was family it was all about family focus on family from 20 years old and above all who are able to go to war in israel so this number that we're going to read about is it every human alive in the camp of israel no Who is it? All males from the age of 20 and up who can fight. So somewhere on your way up, you're definitely going to run to a point where folks that can't fight anymore that aren't going to be counted. And there are going to be folks under the age of 20, right? And this is all males. So that means they're not counting the the wives, the females, the sisters, So that's not going into the count. So keep in mind, what is this numbering for? This is the numbering of the fighting force 
from the nation of Israel. What is God saying? He's saying, listen, you guys are getting ready to enter into warfare. What happens right after you get saved? What happens right after that moment you give your life to Jesus Christ? What happens when you gain a victory and you, and you gain ground on the Lord and things are going in a positive direction? Does the enemy just sit back and let you do whatever you want? Wouldn't that be nice? No. What happens? We go to war. We go to war. Ephesians chapter 6, right? Ephesians chapter 6, we're told to put on the whole armor of God. What do we need armor for? We need armor... Because we're going in to battle. In the book of Numbers, in the first chapter, God's saying, Guys, it's time to get ready. I've had a time of preparing you in the book of Exodus. We've entered into worship in the book of Leviticus. Now it's time to go to war. Now it's time to go to battle. What did Paul write to us in the book of Timothy? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. The, the whole point and understanding that in our life, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, problems, pressure, difficulties. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome this world. Folks, our life is a battlefield. And we need to understand Nowhere in the scripture does God say, if you follow me, it's going to be smooth water. Like, like skiing out there, water skiing on glass. Anybody ever done that? Nope, I can't water ski to save my neck. <laughs> I won't tell you what happens when I water ski, but it isn't good. So, this is what God is laying out for him. There is going to be battles. Here's the sad part in the book of Numbers. We're going to see the numbering here in chapter 1 and 2. We're going to see another numbering in Numbers 26 as they're getting ready to enter the land after the 40 years of wandering. Numbers are going to be the same. But there are some estimates that place on Moses' ministry during those 40 years in the wanderers upwards of 90 funerals a day as they wander as the older generation passes on and the younger generation comes up until the number is actually it's going to be about 2,000 less than what they have now when they actually enter into the promised land so we're going to see this heartache of what could have been and what is now, do any of us ever do that at night? You ever sit back and think about the what could have been and what is? Like what I, where I could have been, what I could have done, what would have happened if only I had, if I had hit the ball instead of struck out. My whole life would be different. In the Hollywood's full of movies like that. If I could go back and change my life and I changed it, everything would be better, right? Those what ifs, the Lord all the while is saying. You don't have to have those. If, if, which by the way is a big word, if you allow me to be your exceedingly great reward. If you let me be the main thing in your life. If you let me, if you allow me to be central and follow my guiding and my leading, I'll take you right along the way. Where we fall into trouble is when we take control. And we're going to see the same thing as these folks go through the things that they go through. 
Verse 4, and there, and with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one of the head of his father's house. Now, I got a few slides. We can flick over to the next slide and take a look at it. We maybe don't remember the, the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's a few, a little bit of explanation that we need to give as we consider the 12 tribes. Uh, hopefully you can see it okay. As we look at the 12 tribes, what we're going to discover is in reality there are 13 tribes. Um, and we'll explain a little bit about that story. You look up here on the screen, you'll see the 12 tribes and their mothers listed out for you. Uh, Leah uh, provided six. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. They were all born from Leah. Uh, Leah's handmaid Zilpah had Gad and Asher. Rachel, we know, struggled in childbearing, didn't have a child until uh, she gave birth to Joseph. And then Joseph grew up in Egypt. Joseph grew up in Egypt. Now, when, when uh, Jacob came and found Joseph in Egypt, Joseph introduced his two sons to him. Do you remember what Jacob did? He adopted them. And he switched their birth order. And he blessed uh, Ephraim above Manasseh. Manasseh was the firstborn. Ephraim was the second. He blessed uh, Ephraim above Manasseh. But they, were, they became part of the 12 tribes. Now, as becoming part of the 12 tribes, one of the things you want to realize, every time they're listed, 12 will be listed. Every time they're listed, somebody's left off. If God doesn't want to leave someone off, he'll list Joseph, which includes the two tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. All right, is everybody with me? Somewhat, I hope. Okay. Bilhah, the, the handmaid of Rachel, had Dan and Naphtali. So that lists out the 12 tribes. And anytime we start talking about the 12 tribes and genealogies, everybody's eyes gloss over, right? <laughs> Oh, no, that's the begots and the begottens, and this happens to that. And can't we just skip the first two chapters and, and do something else? Okay, I get it. They're, they're counted, and there's lots of them. <laughs> but if we do that, we're going to miss out on some of the things that, that I think God wants to show us. So we flip over to the next slide, just uh, by way of remembrance. When we look at the 12 tribes of Israel, these are... The 12 tribes of Israel, as listed in Revelation chapter 7, in order. And the meanings of their names. Every time I see stuff like this, it kind of blows me away. To think about all the ways God can tell us the plans and the things that He's doing. We see another situation like this in the book of Genesis. But as we take a look at it, Judah means praise. So if we go through the meanings of their names in Revelation chapter 7, and we just read the meanings of their names, it says, Praise the Lord. He has looked on my affliction and granted good fortune. Happy am I. My wrestling has made me forget my sorrow. God hears me, has joined me, purchased me, exalted me, adding me, or adding to me the son of his right hand. What do we see taking place in the book of Revelation? We see... The nation of Israel accepting Jesus Christ as their Messiah and entering into the right relationship that they were to have with God. And we can see just a small picture of it in the genealogy listed for us in uh, Revelation chapter 7 as we look at 
the numbering of the 144,000. So just as a side point, side note, does it have any real meaning? No, hopefully nothing other than to say there's a lot of things in God's Word if we're willing to see that we can see as we take a look uh, at the 12 tribes and how they're listed, why they're listed that way, who wasn't listed, why weren't they listed, when are they listed next. All of those things are telling the story of the nation of Israel and we want to be sensitive to those things. And we can go ahead and take a look at the next slide. And uh, how did that feel like we just finished chapter 1? Well, pretty close. If we turn the lights up a little bit, we'll go through the rest of it so we can lay it out for you. And hopefully you can see what God's doing. Verse 5. These are the names of the men who will stand for you. From Reuben, Elazar, the son of Shadur. From Simeon. Shalumiel, the son of, you try to do a better job, Zereshadai. From Judah, Nashon, the son of Aminadab. From Issachar, Nathanael, the son of Zuar. From Zebulun, Eliab, the son of Helon. And from, and from the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elishama, the son of Alimahud. And from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Petazur. What's the point? Listen, as we look at these tribes, God's picking out the leaders. God's picking the leadership of the tribes. And did he name them by like that? You know the guy with the curly hair? I can't think of his name. No, the Lord knows who they are. He names them by name and he lifts them up in leadership. The scripture tells us who raises up kings and brings down kingdoms. The Lord, right? It's God who raises up leadership. And as we go through the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, we're going to see different battles, different revolts, people trying to re- rebel against Moses' leadership or the leadership of Aaron or, or any other leadership as a, as a result of that. And what we're going to discover is God has very little patience for that because God wants his people to realize these are the guys I chose. I didn't choose them because they're better than you. I didn't choose them because they're smarter or prettier or stronger. I chose them because I chose them. And I expect you to respect my choice. In essence, that's the bottom line. God chose. God Could God have used anyone or did he have to use Moses? He could have used anybody he wanted. Who did he choose to use? Moses. So God expected the people to follow the, the guideline that Moses lays out. And really, as we study the life of Moses, you're studying the life of the, of the first pastor figure in the Bible. Because God spoke his vision to Moses. Moses raised up in the book of Genesis a group of, of, of men to help, to serve, a, a, or, or actually in the, in the book of Exodus, men to serve alongside him and help, which would become what we would consider today the, the eldership and the deacons, and they would come together and they would take care of the, the work of the body and all big matters would go up to, to Moses. But otherwise, if they could be solved in lesser degrees, they would be solved in, the, in lower echelon. And everybody's needs could be met that way. And everybody was a part of the, of the, of the process. And everybody was a part of that body, the, the nation of Israel, even as we see within the government, within the body of, of Christ or within each individual church. And as we look at what God does in the numbering of these guys, we want to recognize and realize that not that we are Israel, but that there are similar things that God wants to do in and through us. 
that God raises up leadership. And ultimately, there's no substitute for the calling of God. None. There's no way around it. Now, I believe that God places in people's lives and in their hearts that desire. I don't think God places a desire in your heart for for being a a leader, being an elder, being a deacon, being a pastor, being a missionary, just to tell you you can't be. He places those things in your heart. But our ability to achieve is going to depend on our ability to surrender, submit, and follow his leading. And watch what God does. But these are those. These are the chosen. These are the ones that the Lord God lifted up. Now, Nashon from Judah, just as a side note, the book of Ruth and the book of Matthew name him. Nashon is the one through whom Messiah will come from the lineage of Judah. And as we go on, verse 11, from Benjamin, Abidon, the son of Gideoni, from Dan, Ahizer, the son of Amishadai, from Asher, Pagiel, the son of Okran, from Gad, Eliasaph, the son of Duel, from Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Enan. These were chosen from the congregation, leaders of their father's tribes, heads of the divisions of Israel. So, you see that God's organized, right? He's going to number them. He's going to divide them. He's going to tell them where to camp. He's going to tell them when to march. He's going to tell them all these things because God is a God not of confusion, but of organization. And we're going to see that as he lays these things out. In verse 17, we're going to see the numbers recorded. Then Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name, and they assembled all the congregation together on that first day of the second month, and they recited their ancestry by families, by fathers' houses, according to the numbers of names, from 20 years old and above, each one individually. I want you to understand something. When the book started, what day were they on? First day, second month, second year, right? When did they start to obey God? So first day, second month, second year. They went right to it. When they understood what God was calling them to do, what the Lord was directing, they went immediately in to going to work. They assembled those guys. They brought them together and they had them recite from what, what uh, tribe they were from, their lineage, their lineage, so that they knew who they were. For you and I, is it important for us to know who we are in Christ? Is it important for us to know our pedigree? In terms of, is it important for us to know we're saved? I think it is. I think if we're in a place where we don't know or we, we can't recite or we can't explain how we've been saved or, or what salvation really is or whether or not we're truly saved, then I think we're, we're in a place where we need to take care of that issue before we move forward. For each one of these guys, they knew their pedigree. They could recite who they were, where they were from, what it was all about. And so each one did that individually. And verse 19, as the Lord commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. Now the children of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all that were able to go to war, 
Those who were numbered of the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. Next important thing for us to understand, all the tribes but one are rounded to the hundreds. The numbers rounded to the hundreds. So every number you're going to see, nice round numbers, that was part of the tradition on how they numbered, uh, whether they rounded up or rounded down, doesn't matter. This is the number that we're given, and it's rounded to the hundreds. Gad, we're going to see rounds to the tens. But we'll see that as we go on. Now he goes on. 46,500. From the children of Simeon, their genealogies, by their families, by their father's house, of those who were numbered according to the number of the names, every male individually from 20 years old and above that were able to go to war. Those who were numbered to the tribe of Simeon, 59,300. Now, as we're going through this, keep in mind, how many do we start with? Two. Oh, I don't even have a child, Lord. What are you gonna, how, how are you going to fulfill all these promises? I don't have anything. And out of two, we see these numbers beginning to come through as God fulfills his promise to them. The 59,300, verse 24, from the children of Gad, their genealogies by their families, by the father's houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, who are able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Gad were 45,650. From the children of Judah, their genealogies by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Judah were 74,600. From the children of Issachar, their genealogies by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Issachar, Issachar, 54,400. From the children of Zebulun, their genealogies by their families and their father's houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Zebulun, 57,400. From the tribes of Joseph, the children of Ephraim, their genealogies by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of the names. From 20 years old and above, who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Ephraim, 40,500. From the children of Manasseh, by their genealogies, by their families, the number of the names from 20 years old, and above who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Manasseh, 32,200. From the children of Benjamin, their genealogies by their families in the father's house, according to the number of the names from 20 years and above, all who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Benjamin, 35,400. From the children of Dan, their genealogies by the names of their father's house, according to the number of the names, 20 years old and above, able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Dan, 62,700. From the children of Asher, from the genealogies of their families by their father's house, according to the number of the names from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Asher were 41,500. From the children of Naphtali, their genealogies by their families in their father's house, according to the number of the names from 20 years old and above, all that were able to go to war. The, uh, those who were numbered of the tribe of Naphtali were 53,400. These are the ones who were numbered, whom Moses and Aaron numbered with the leaders of Israel 
12 men, each one representing his father's house. So all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's houses from 20 years and above, all who were able to go to war in Israel, all that were numbered, 603,550. So we look at this number from two of the fighting force ready to go to war because the next stage that they're entering, entering into is warfare. If we were to do a numbering of the body of Christ, ready and, and prepared uh, to go to war, what would that number be? What would the number be of the body of Christ? Because, folks, we're in that place now. In our lives, whether we're wandering or not, we should be prepared and ready for war. How many in the church of God are ready? Are ready for warfare? This is the call that God has for us as we take a look. I'm kind of blown away that there's 603,550, whatever the number is, as we take a look at it. Now, you remember I talked about the fact that there are probably in, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2.5 to 3 million people in the children of Israel. So we have this number placed on all the men who are able to fight. It doesn't count any of the men from 20 years old and under. It doesn't count any of their wives, any of their children, or any of the elderly. So whatever you want to multiply that number by to figure it out, three, four, uh, you know, some of them are probably going to have uh, 10 kids, some of them may have two kids. Some of them might have had who knows how many kids. But there were certainly a multiple, a multiple greater than the 600,000 that numbered the total amount of the people. Now, as we went through the tribes, there's a tribe left out. What tribe's left out? Tribe of Levi is not to be counted. Why? The tribe of Levi was never to go to war. What was the role of the tribe of Levi? To guide and lead the children of Israel in worship, in their relationship with their creator God. They were to provide for the spiritual state of the nation. If they went to war and their spiritual state was all sideways, how good did the war go? Not very well, right? Straight down in the, in the, in the tank. So... Levi was given a different job. So they're not numbered. They're not numbered among the 12. But there were 12 numbered. Which two were numbered? Joseph was split into two, right? Ephraim and Manasseh. So we still had 12 tribes of Israel. There will always be 12. Always listed 12. And always someone's not there. And it's important for us when we look at those listings to see who's not there and why. What's going on? What's God's word laying out for us? Now, as we go on uh, through the verse 47, but the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses and said, only the tribe of Levi you will not number nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, over all the things that belong to it. They will carry the tabernacle, its furnishings, and they will attend uh, to it and camp around the tabernacle. Now, 
as we take a look at this, as he's, as he's laying these things out, he's going to be, begin to tell the children of Israel where they camp, how they set up, how that's all supposed to be done. Where was the tabernacle within the encampment? You remember? Center, right in the middle. And all around the tabernacle was to be camped the, the, the Levites. And the Levites are going to be camped in four different families, we'll see uh, in a little while. Now, uh, when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites will take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites will set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Well, that seems kind of harsh. What better way for God to get the point across? How many ways is there to have a relationship with him? One. His way, right? His way. And as we come to the New Testament, we know who his way is, right? Jesus Christ, for no one comes to the Father except through him. Through him. So just the Levites were to take it up and to put it down. Now the children of Israel will pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. So we're going to see the armies of Israel divided into four standards. And under those four standards, God's going to tell them whose camp you're camping in, which families are camping together, and you're going to center yourself around the tabernacle. You're going to center yourself around the tabernacle, wherever God tells you to camp. Thus the children of Israel did according to all the Lord God commanded Moses, so they did. Now we come to chapter 2, the encampment. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, Every one of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard beside the emblems of his father's house. And they shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. So they weren't going to be right on the tabernacle, right? They're going to camp away from the tabernacle. Everything in their camp was centered on the presence of God. That's the point. Everything they did, where they put their tent, where they walked, how they marched, where they went in and, and where they fell in, in their, and when it was time for them to fall out, all of that was based on the presence of God. Whether they took one step forward was based on whether or not the presence of God was moving that way. Isn't that how we should be moving today? Shouldn't all the things we do be based on the presence of God? And if that's true, why are we a better example of Lot than we are of Abraham? Remember Abraham and Lot? Herds were too big. So they went to the top of this mountain and Abraham said, Lot, you go wherever you want to go. I'll go the other way. And the Bible says, Lot lifted up his eyes to the five plains and he said, oh man, that looks like a good place to live. And he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And then pretty soon he pitched his tent in Sodom. And the next thing you know, he was a leader of the city of Sodom. And he probably, if you could ask him that day, if you could say, he, Lot, where are you going to go and why? It's like, well, it doesn't really matter, right? Because, you know, God's with me. He's going to go with me wherever I go. And, and it's all good. So he didn't lift his eyes up to God. He lifted his eyes up on what looked good to him. And what did it cost? That cost him everything. Everything. 
I mean, think of the end. Think of the promise. Lot, his wife, his children, and all the thoughts and and ideas he had about about what his family was going to be and where his family was going to go. And then consider where they end up. Well, from his two daughters are going to come the Moabites and the Ammonites, two eternal enemies of Israel, his only offspring. From the lineage of Lot. Why? Because it wasn't about where is God's presence leading me. It was about what looks good. I've been a lot of times in my life where I got a, I've been faced with an opportunity, job opportunity, and I'll say, oh man, well I can make more money, and I, and I can get a nicer house, and I can take care of the bills. This is definitely something I should do. And take off and go do it. And never once consider whether or not God's presence was leading me. Here in the book of Numbers, the children of Israel were learning right from this, the, the out, stepping off. We only move when God moves. Where God goes, we go. We're going to follow him. His presence is what everything, every part of life was about. When did they gather together? When, when it was time to worship God. They came together and worship Him. How was it that they, that they had their get-togethers? What was it all centered on? It was all centered on worship. It was all centered on the Lord. Everything was about the Lord. I had somebody ask me this week. They came in my office and... They're not here, so I can say it. And they, they were asking me some questions. And I was talking to them about pressing into the Lord. And so, so they asked me, well, what, what really do you mean when you say press into the Lord? And I said, basically, this is what I mean. That you can't wait to get home so that you can spend time with God. Or as the first thing you do when you get home, turn on the TV and watch your show. And which I'm not saying is, is inherently evil or bad, but God's not central. The Lord's not central. The first person you go to when you have a problem, before you open up the checkbook, before you call the doctor, before you, you go see whatever, the lawyer, whatever thing you got going on, the very first thing is you seek the Lord. That's pressing into Him. That God is central. That He's central in our life. When, when I say I'm a Christian, and a lot of people throw that title around, right? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I was born in the United States. When I say I'm a Christian, that's supposed to mean that I am following the example of Christ. In what way exactly? Because for Christ, he said, I only speak the words that my Father gave me to speak. I only do the things my Father gives me to do. What was he saying? I only go where the presence of God my father leads me or tells me to go. I only do the things he strengthens me to do. I think a lot of ways we find ourselves wandering and frustrated in the wilderness because we're trying to do things God didn't tell us to do nor has equipped us to. And or we find ourselves in a place where we're frustrated because we're not doing the things God's calling us to do. We're not stepping out in the ways God's calling us to step out. And we find ourselves frustrated and nothing really satisfies. Why? Because the maker of the universe has something that will satisfy you, but you won't. Walk where the presence of God is leading. So when we look at numbers and we see that, that's what we want. We want 
follow the presence of God. That God's, that God's presence is central to who we are, what we do, where we go, why we do it, what we watch, what we listen to, what we read, everything. Oh, that's legalistic. No, it's not. That's reality. That's reality. So, do you do that? Not very well all the time. No. No. And God's been telling me over and over again, I've shared with you guys before, God laid on my heart this, this desire that God has to work revival in, through, among us, that we can be a part of it, and I'm stoked about that. But you know what? We can't go or lead anyone else anywhere that we're not already at. That's why judgment begins in the house of God. That's why before God has me teach anything to you guys, he's already taught it to me. Uh, Jackie, hello? Are you listening? I need to be central. I need to be your reason. Whatever happens in a day happens. And to realize... You know, I can't just... <laughs> the funny thing is, what happens when we say this? Okay, now tomorrow, I'm going to concentrate really hard. And I'm just going to make everything... And you know what that is? That's trying to accomplish something in the flesh that you can't do. I can't make it happen by a work of the flesh. It's a work of the Spirit, right? And the Spirit comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the Word of God. The Spirit... Spirit is strengthened by studying God's word. Spirit is strengthened by worship. The Spirit is strengthened by what we eat. And ingesting those things and just, just ingesting those things and trying to stay in the presence of God. That's enough of a concentration for me. Instead of worrying about whether or not I turn on the TV before I open my Bible. I just want to stay in the presence of God. Where's the Lord right now? What's, that's it. That's all I can do. That's all I can do. It was pretty easy for the camp, right? They could see him. There's God right there. This is where I'm supposed to stand when God's here. And that's what they did. And that's what God wants of us. He wants us to follow in that same way. Now in verse 3 it says, Now on the east side, Whoa, he began on the east. Whoa, why did he begin on the east? Do you remember when we studied the tabernacle? Where's the door to the tabernacle? Take a wild guess. On the east side. On the east side. So you could only enter into the tabernacles one door. Jesus said he was the door, right? You could only enter through one door from the east side. I wonder who's going to camp on the east. Hmm. Well, let's take a look. On the east side, toward the rising of the sun, those of the standard of the forces with Judah shall camp according to their armies. He's called the lion of the tribe of Judah. So Messiah comes through the line of Judah. So Judah camped on the east side by the door, by the encampment. So Judah and this tribe, Judah, is going to be made up of these other tribes that you see up on the slide as well. Uh, they, they will camp according to their armies. Nashon, the son of Aminadab, will be the leader of the children of Judah. And his army was numbered at 74,600. Those who camp next to him uh, shall be the tribe of Issachar. Uh, Nethanel, the son of Zuar, shall be the leader of the children of Issachar. 
And this army was numbered at 54,400. And then the tribe of Zebulun and Eliab, the son of Helon, shall be the leader of the children of Zebulun. And this army was numbered 57,400. So all who were numbered according to the armies of the forces with Judah, 186,400. These shall break camp first. So... The Lord laid them out. These, these were camped all under the ensign of Judah. Judah's standard was the standard. Anybody guess what the standard of Judah was? The lion. The standard of the lion on the east side by the door of the tabernacle. And they would camp on the east. And when the encampment was to move, they were moving first. They were going to be going first from the east side we're going to see these things move forward now on the south side will be the standard of the forces with reuben so reuben will be the title of the tribes that we'll see on the south side so reuben according stop moving according uh, to their armies (laughs) and the leader of the children of reuben shall be elazar the son of sheduar and the army was numbered at uh, 46,500. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon, and the leader of the children of Simeon will be Shelmiel, the son of Zerushudiah, <laughs> and his army was numbered at 59,300. Then comes the tribe of Gad, and the leader of the children of Gad will be Eliasaph, the son of Ruel, and his army was numbered at 45,650. And all who were numbered according to their armies of the forces of Reuben... 151,450, they will be second to break camp. You know what I love about this? Do you see how God placed everything in order? Can you imagine, maybe you've experienced this in your own home. Like Sunday morning, let's go to church. And getting everybody ready. And getting them to the car, loaded up to go to church. Now, multiply your family by uh, 2 million. How hard would it be to get that camp moving? Man, it would take a long time, it would seem like. But see, the Lord laid it out. You're going to camp in the east. And you're going to be under Judah's ensign. You're going to stay here. And when the cloud or the pillar of fire begins to move, we'll see the Levites pick up the tabernacle, break camp. Judah, you go first. And Reuben, you take your group, the, the tribes that are with you, and you see Judah moving, you guys are going to get up, break camp, you're going to go second. All the way down the line. All four groups. So that when the camp moved, it moved together as a cohesive unit wherever God was leading, wherever the Lord was directing them. Okay, so that's the south side. And then... Where am I? Uh, and the t- <laughs> and verse 18. Now, <clears throat> on the west side, there will be a standard of forces with Ephraim. Now, we take a look at the west side. We'll see a standard of forces of Ephraim according to their armies. And the leader of the children of Ephraim will be Elishama, the son of El- uh, Amihud. And his army was numbered at 40,500. Next to him comes the tribe of Manasseh. And the leader... Of the children of Manasseh 
shall be Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur, and the, his army was numbered 32,200. Then comes the tribe of Benjamin, the leader of the children of Benjamin, will be Abidan, the son of Gideoni. And his army was numbered at 35,400. So all who were numbered according to their armies of the forces with Ephraim, 108,000, let me try that again, 108,100. And they shall be the third to break camp. Now verse 25, then the standard of the forces with Dan will be on the north, according to their armies. So he's given us uh, the four ensigns, right? We got Judah to the east, we got Reuben to the south, Ephraim to the west, Dan to the north. And the forces that are with Dan uh, will follow under the leader of the children of Dan, Elihazar, the son of Abishadiah. And his army was numbered at 62,700. Those who camp next to him will be the tribe of Asher and the leader of the children of Asher, according to Pegiel, the son of Akron. And his army was numbered at 41,500. Then comes the tribe of Naphtali. The leader of the children of Naphtali shall be Ahira, the son of Enan. And his army was numbered at 53,400. So all who were numbered in the forces of Dan... 157,600, they will break camp last with their standards. These are the ones who were numbered with the children of Israel by their father's houses. All who were numbered according to their armies, the forces were 603,550. But the Levites were not numbered among the children of Israel just as the Lord commanded Moses. So let's take a look at the next slide. So here's what we have in the tribe of Levi. Levi would have surrounded the tabernacle according to the four families of the tribes of Levi. The Gershonites, the Merarites, the Kohathites, and then you have Aaron and his uh, family along with Moses. Remember, in order to be the priests, you had to be in the lineage of Aaron. But you could be in the tribe of Levi, you would serve in the tabernacle, be part of the tabernacle and worship, but in order to be the priest, you would fall in the lineage of Aaron. So Aaron and Moses would camp to the east, right in front of the door. So based on how Levi would camp, that would equal the size of the, the width to the east, north, south, or west. You understand what I'm saying? Otherwise, you would be to the southeast, southwest, and God didn't say southeast, southwest. He said north, south, east, west. Straight across. Now, we don't have any idea the number of Levi, because Levi wasn't numbered. But we can use any arbitrary number. We go to the next slide. We'll take a look. We'll take a look as they line up around them. Judah to the east. The ensign of Judah is the lion. Then we have... Um, Ephraim to the west, the ensign of the ox. Dan to the north, the ensign is the eagle. Reuben to the south, uh, the ensign of Reuben was a man. Now as we look at the, the Jewish tradition, you're not going to find it in Scripture other than for Judah and Ephraim. They're standards. The rest is from Jewish tradition. It is interesting and it is also part of Jewish tradition that those ensigns were taken from 
the four faces you see on the living creatures that surround the throne of God, uh, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. One had the face of an ox, of a lion, of an eagle, and of a man. The four-faced living creatures around the throne of God. The other interesting side point to all that is each one corresponds to one of the Gospels. To one of the Gospels. The Lion of the tribe of Judah is the book of Matthew. The ox, the servant, the suffering servant of the book of Mark. The eagle, deity in the book of John. And man, the son of man, the title used to greatest degree in the Gospel of Luke. So in each one of the four Gospels, they present Christ uh, following the picture of the four faces of the living creatures that surround the throne. And uh, as I said, Jewish tradition said, those were the ensigns. We know the ox and the lion beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, The other two come from tradition. But what doesn't come from tradition and what we want to realize as we look at the numbers of each one of the encampments, they would have fit themselves exactly perpendicular to where Levi set up his camp. And as you back up, that's what those numbers equal out to. Why should that matter? It's interesting because as you consider that shape of the cross and the encampment of Israel, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24, we might get there to, uh, next week, but just in case we don't. Numbers chapter 24, we want to look at uh, verse 5 and 6. Numbers 24 is the prophecy of Balaam. Balaam, the prophet that tried to curse God but couldn't. Remember, his donkey told him not to go, and he went anyway. Let that be a lesson. If you're on your way somewhere and your car starts to talk to you, Maybe you should turn around. Go the other way. But listen to this part of this prophecy. Balaam was standing on a mountain overlooking the encampment of Israel. So he's standing on a mountain looking at that. And then read the prophecy. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, and your dwellings, O Israel. Like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord like the cedar beside the waters. How lovely is your encampment. Balaam could not curse the children of Israel as he stood on the high mountain and saw the cross. The cross that for you and I points to Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. This is the encampment of Israel. That's how they camped. It's the way they moved It's how they came to certain places. When they got there, as soon as they got there, they would set up camp like this. They would follow the line in the direction that God led them. The tabernacle would come up and the the presence of God moving. The tribe of Levi following it. And then the four standards following right behind them. When When the presence of God stopped, boom. They set up and they were in the form of the cross every time that they would encamp. So as we take a look at what the scripture lays out for us, Numbers 1 and 2, it's going to close with this in verse 34. But the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, and they broke camp, each one by his family, according to their father's houses. Everywhere they go, 
Every place they went, this is the way that they would um, move, and this is the way they would camp, and this is how every enemy of Israel that saw Israel set up camp and chose to attack them, this is what they were attacking. The cross. Over and over and over again. God laying out for us that picture. Now, apart from making careful study, breaking out the numbers, laying it all out, if we just rolled through numbers one and two, it would have been easy. Uh, God counted them. This is how many there was. And now let's get to the good stuff. But we'd miss out on some pretty important things. The cross of Christ, the encampment, and... The picture, remember Jesus telling children of Israel, search the scriptures daily for in them you find life, but it is these that speak of me. Everywhere we go, we're going to find them on every page. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for an opportunity to come, to study, to open your word. Father God, we do pray, Lord, that your spirit would move in and among us, Father, and that we would, Lord, as your people for this day, God, that we would choose only go where your presence is leading, to press into the Lord, to make you central. You're the center of everything we do. Why do we come to church on Wednesday? To spend time with you. Why do we go do this or go and do that? It's all about you. It's opportunity for us to minister to you. To fulfill the calling. For even as you have told us, Lord God, we are your hands and feet today. If we don't go, you don't come with us. And as we go, where two or three are gathered, there you are in our midst. Lord God, I just pray, Father, that you would enable us, equip us to to realize and understand, God, even as we go through the Old Testament, that we would know. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, God, you tell us that all these things are examples to us, that we would learn where they failed. That we would make a choice choice not to fail also a choice that says i need the main motivation of my life to be the lord and i don't want to make a decision not one small what i think insignificant decision unless the presence of god is moving i don't go if he's not with me So, Lord, help us realize that. And when we go, when you move, Lord, it's the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ where our sins are forgiven, where we find grace, where we find strength, where we find you, God, that that, that place where you nailed all the shortcomings that we have. You've taken them out of the way, having nailed them to the cross. So we go knowing our Savior's not there anymore, but remembering what he did there for us. 
So, Lord, as we go forward, may we be numbered among your people. May we be numbered with you. May we show possession that you own us. And I thank you, Lord, that your word declared, because we are numbered among you, you know even if one is missing. And you'll leave the ninety and nine and go to the one. Ah, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that as you number us, as we are numbered among you, God, you know us by name. You've called the leaders of each one of the groups and families in which you've placed us. And Lord, while we move and we, we, we stand together in the shadow of your cross, still we are, we are each one moving independently by the families, working together, accomplishing the same goal, just as you want your church to do. Moving forward, separated by families, but standing together and changing the world all around us, one step at a time. Lord God, we pray that you would move in a mighty way as we lift this evening to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're gonna-